0: a good narrative shabbos to our members and friends of the west mount shul as we're coming to shabbos hanukkah we encourage everybody to come to shul there'll be three sifrei torah out something that only happens at most two times a year we'll be reading parshas Mikates, followed by the Parsha dealing with rosh Chodesh, and finally with the hanukkah reading We'll be singing Hallel. We're going to be having a bar mitzvah this week. It's going to be a glorious Shabbos. We invite everybody to come. And I'm sure there's a lot of things on people's minds. Unfortunately, a lot of not wonderful news out in the world on a local level. Unfortunately, in the city of Vaughn, there was a condominium dispute It ended with a person murdering five people in a condominium in different uh, uh, condos there. And then more recently this week, six young teenage girls, 13 years old, many of them, swarm another person in the downtown core and murdered him. Incredible, incredible things that are going on. And this is all happening as we're celebrating Hanukkah. Now, I spoke about it, the Parsha class, for those that are interested to hear the Parsha class, how lighting of the menorah in Eretz Yisrael was at the same time as the World Cup was going on. I'd suggest you listen to that class. But I want to focus more on what should our reaction be at this time of Hanukkah as we're lighting our Hanukkah menorah to understand what is happening to Western society. And we know the mentors tells us right from the beginning when the Torah tells us that God, before the world was created, there was Choshech, there was darkness. And the Talmud tells us darkness, this is, Gol, this is Yavon. This is the Golos of Yavon. This is the Greek exile from which we were saved from in the Hanukkah story. The measure says that the Greeks darkened the eyes of the Jews with all their decrees. So we see that in the very beginning of creation, in the very beginning, Hashem already cast the die that there would be certain evils in the world. Hashem wanted that there should be a choice between Vayomer Elohim Or. And God said, let there be light. And that would be something the Jewish people would champion, bringing light into the world. And there'd be the opposite. There's the Greeks who would champion bringing darkness into the world. And Hashem initially decreed it to be such, so that mankind will have free will choice to go after the darkness of Greece or the light of the Torah and the Jewish people. So, I'd like to explore this idea of light and darkness and how we can fit it into our current events. And to understand what is light all about? What's the purpose of light? And there's really three aspects to this. The three aspects. The one, the very simple, the physical one, is light is what connects people together. When there's light, you can see what's going on. When it's dark, we can't see what's going on. So on a very simple level, but it's a fundamental aspect, light brings clarity. Light connects. That's the point. It's a connector on the most basic level. But on a spiritual level, let's take a little bit further. The Talmud says that the light that God created on the first day, Hashem saw from the beginning of the world to the end of the world, and he saw that there would be shame in the world. And therefore, God concealed the light So for the tzaddikim in the future. So he created a light and he concealed the light. And the question is why? So the simple understanding is, so the wicked should not endure the light. <laughs> but our rabbis explain much deeper. This light, this spiritual light, really enabled mankind to see from the beginning of time to the end of the time all at one time. And at the end of time, we know there's going to be an olam haba for the righteous, and there's going to be Gehenim for the wicked. And if everybody could see that light from the beginning of time to the end of the time, there would be no free will choice. Because everyone would see it doesn't pay to go against God. you go all getting up in Gehenna. And therefore, since God wanted for there to be free will choice, and he saw there would be Rashim because they would make the wrong choice, and there'd be who make the correct choice, so therefore Hashem concealed that light. That's a spiritual light that connects everything, every spiritual concept, every historical concept running straight through the 6,000 years of world history. You can give a marshal to this. Let's say two people are going to try to reach the top of a mountain and the top is a palace with lots of money. And people are told, you get to the top, you get the money. On one side of the mountain, on the eastern side of the mountain, and it was a very rugged climb either way. But one of them, it was rugged, but you could see the palace from the bottom to the top. The other one, it was a forest in between. You couldn't see People told you there's a palace but you don't know for sure but they told you there's a palace. Who has a greater likelihood of getting to the top? The one who sees the palace. He sees it's there. Yes, it's a very difficult road but you see the palace. The one who does not see the palace is not as inspired. So that's the same thing. Hashem could have given had gave this light that you see the vision straight through to the palace. A difficult road but a palace indeed is there. Hashem concealed that light so we would not have it so clear to understand that there really would be no choice Now a question is where did God put the light he had to put it somewhere so we're told by the Medrash, he put it into the Torah five times it says the word or light in the beginning of the Torah and the Torah was the light was put into the five books of Moses and what's the purpose of that light that light as the Zohar says isthro by rice of the the Jewish people, the Torah and Hashem are one. The light, again, connects us. The light of the Torah the true, it explains the true reality of Hashem through the Torah connects us to Hashem. So there's three aspects of light. We have the physical aspect of light where it just physically connects people together. The spiritual aspect of the light, which is the light that's hidden for the tzaddikim, so to speak, to be able to see from one end of history of to another. And finally, the light of the Torah that connects us to Hashem. That is light. So what is Greece? Darkness. Darkness is separating that which the light could put together. And that's why it says by the Greeks, they want us to forget your Torah. That Torah which connects us to Hashem. The Greeks are all about severing connections. and they, And this was their philosophy, as we shall see, their philosophy, their science, and everything. We know that Avram Avinu was the first of the believers. He looked at the world and said, There's got to be a source to it. And therefore, after much intelligent investigation and research, he concluded there has to be a divine being who put this world to begin with. And it's the source of everything. And throughout history, there were those who knew there had to be a source, but they chose not to be as clever as Avram. And they took things to almost the source of all sources but left it at the stars, the uh, constellations, and fell short and that became idol worship. But they all knew there had to be some kind of a source to all this until the Greeks came along. And they basically said, you know what? We don't need to know what the source of everything about nature is. We don't care about the roots of that. We just look at the reality of this now and they call it the scientific method. We just want to know how we could use nature right now. We don't care what caused all this. And this is the darkness again. Darkness is separating the light. It's cutting us off from critical aspects of reality. Just looking at the here and now and say let's try to understand from what we see now what we should be doing. But separating everything from its source. And if you start with like say for example Aristotle and Plato. Aristotle thought that the world, that original, the original beginning of the world is the same thing we have now. And the world always existed that it was without any changes at all. The world was eternal. Then came along Plato and he said, no, that the world, maybe maybe there was some kind of divinity that created the world. But after that point, The world went on its own, and there maybe could have been a God who produced the first energies, but then from that point in, the energies went on their own. While the Jews said a very subtle difference, he says, God created the first reality, and then he created Yesh Yesh, and he created the entire world from that. A very subtle difference. But Rav Shem Shem Rav Al-Hir says, from the subtle differences, you could see the great ethical differences that would start, that would develop from this. And what do we mean? We know it says in Sefer say Brashis, Ki Leva Adam mm-hmm. the inclination of man is evil from its youth. Man, by nature, wants to throw off any yoke of subservience to God. He doesn't want to bother to conquer his yates He wants to have whatever he wants to do and whatever his lusts he should want. That's the nature of man. But there's one thing that could stop a man. You know what that is? Conscience. Matspoon, Conscience. And you know what? A person wants to sin is prepared to pay a lot to get rid of that conscience. And it comes up all kinds of rationalizations through history People, for example, say human beings do not have the power to overcome the Yetzirah. I wasn't built this way. God knows I cannot conquer my evil inclination. Certainly God will forgive me knowing that I can't conquer it. I may want to be good, but I can't be good. And that's how we silence our conscience. But Hashem, who created the world, He created the world to give us pleasure. And everything Hashem created from the original mass to the world that was there was for the purpose of giving us good. And therefore Hashem created evil so we can overcome the tests of life and accomplish the good. And that's what a jubilee is. because God who created the world, the initial matter, and created the world from that matter and he created the temptations of evil and he created the, the light of good. Hashem did this all for a purpose that we can overcome our natures. And therefore, Hashem gives us the strength to overcome this. Well, according to Plato, maybe God even wanted to do good for man. But he says that God only created the initial matter, but the rest came into being by itself. And the rest of that is something that inclines man, so to speak, to to sin And man is structured in a way that he cannot overcome as Yetzirah. And this becomes the fundamental philosophical difference between the Greeks and the Jews. Do you believe, even if you believe there was a God, but God didn't really, was not as involved in the details of the world. And therefore the world itself really became a very nasty place, a world with temptations that man cannot overcome. And you have to live with that nature that exists. While the Jews, says Hashem, created every aspect of this reality and even the evil that perceives, that man perceives should realize it's only to challenge us and to overcome it and to grow from that. And therefore we say that Choshech, darkness, this is the gullus of the Greeks as the Greeks wanted not only to separate God from everything that exists and to say science is what it is right now, what we see right now, cut off from a source, cut off from a future. If we take everything in a context, as i got to create the world for a purpose, and every moment in time is part of that purpose, and all this challenges, it's all part of that purpose, and to see all the way to the end that there's going to be a Mashiach that man will overcome and make a tikkun olam. Well, the Greeks said, science, just what we see now. And it's tentative. And what we thought was true 500 years ago is not true. And now what's now is true. And we you know what? And what we know now is true is not going to be true 100 years from now either. If you know what's not true now is not going to be true later, why are you so believing in it and worshipping it? Fascinating. Scientists say, yeah, what they knew 100 years ago, they don't know. They were wrong. We're right. But you know, science is always wrong. And you're so right that there's something called climate change. You're so with such certainty that the world will end after a certain amount of time. Well, everything else you thought, science thought the world was flat. Turned out it wasn't. So many things that science, because they only look at the here and now. And they eventually say the past is rejected. And we're going to decide the future, but then a hundred years from now in the future, we're going to reject the past that we have right now. And not only do they separate that, but they separate the mind from the heart. As they say about Aristotle, Aristotle had very highfalutin philosophies of morality and all these kinds of things. But then they caught Plato doing, uh, Aristotle doing things that were quite immoral. And they said, how do you explain this? And he said, well, right now I'm not Aristotle. In other words, they think like this. A professor of math, for example, doesn't have to be a triangle to be able to teach math. A biology professor doesn't have to be a zebra. So therefore, one who teaches morals doesn't have to be a moral person. So you can begin to understand what's going on over here with science and philosophers who, what you philosophize in the mind, what you come up with the mind, does not have to be connected to the heart. And if the mind tells you there should be certain concepts of life, but in, your, but in your heart, you don't have to feel that way, you don't have to behave based on that. And if we think about it, if we look at all the great, great scientists and all these people, what do they leave us in terms of any type of morality, in terms of midos, in terms of refinement of character, have they left us anything of those real values? Is there something we say, a great story about Einstein, a great story about philosophers that they did things that we're going to tell over and be inspired to behave in such a way? Because you see, the philosophers, the Greek philosophers are very smart But they're like, as the expression is, a donkey carrying books. A lot of wisdom, but it doesn't turn into reality. A simple example will suffice. Let's say a, a great scientist is learning, professor, he's learning all kinds of ideas, and he's really a big expert in his area. But guess what? There's another scientist who's a bigger expert. How do you solve it? The best way is for the one scientist or philosopher to go to the one who's smarter than them and say, please teach me. But unfortunately, the other way is just kill the smarter ones and now you will be the smartest. How often we see so much competition in this world to find cures for diseases because everyone wants to credit for the cure. Everyone wants to credit to tell us what they think is right, if it's right or not. And therefore... Uh, you see that as intelligent as people can be, but generally speaking, there's no expectation that morals should follow and that you leave a long-lasting legacy of morality in the world. That is something that you do not find in the world. And there's so many sources I can bring for you there, but I just don't have the time. This is not a, a class. It's just a drush. But let's look at the Torah. When the Torah lists great people, do they talk about high IQs? Do they talk about the geniuses of people or just their virtues? As we know, Rashi says in Sefer Brashis, the children of tzaddikim are really their good deeds. Moshe Rabbeinu may have been the greatest genius in the world, but the only thing the Torah really wants to say about Moshe Rabbeinu with all his accomplishments is he was the humblest person in the world. The way Jews measure greatness is by their values that they lived by, not just by their intelligence. And how did that man live according to the values that he taught? Was Moshe Rabbeinu the great one who brought religion to the world, but he himself was not religious at all? Judaism requires that the intellect and the heart are bound together. This is Judaism. And that's the difference between Jewish wisdom and Greek wisdom, That Greek wisdom doesn't have to combine with Greek morality. And as smart as the Greeks were, they were that immoral. And the Jews, the great leaders of the Jews, with their intelligence and their philosophies of Yiddishkeit that came from Hashem that was bound to Hashem, it came with midos as part of the package. And this has been the great struggle between the light and the darkness. The light that wants to combine people together and they should work collegially. And we want spirituality to be seen together with an understanding of the beginning and an understanding of the end and placing the present based on that connectivity. And finally, that with the infinite reality of Hashem through the Torah. The Jews are light, the Jews are connectivity. Greece is darkness. As much as they pretend that they're bringing light, the light of wisdom, all this light, and we have the collection of all the wisdom of the world, and with all the collection of the wisdom of the world, what is the world able to do? It's able to have wars in Russia, wars in Afghanistan, communist leaders speaking in, in Washington this week to, to, to get more money out of the Americans. Well, the Ukraine is no more democratic than Russia if you really know what's going on over there. And the world is so smart. That's why so many people are suffering from inflation, suffering from murders in Toronto, in all these places. Why is this happening if everybody's so smart? You know why? Because in Greece, you c- separate the intelligence from the morality. You separate the past and the future from the present. And that's where you think you have so much light, but you really have so much darkness. People are discussing on talk shows, why are, why is you know crime in the downtown core so bad? Why are people just going into condominiums and shooting up people? What's going on? And they're giving all kinds of reasons. I don't have, you don't have to be a big chacham to understand what it is. All the politicians, all the leaders who profess liberalism and all this, they don't do it themselves. That's the problem. They legalize marijuana while all great, true psychiatrists said that's a dangerous thing for younger people to have. You think all those 13-year-olds who killed that person, swarmed that they're not on drugs? When, when the smartest people say that a, that a girl is not a girl and a boy is not a boy. <laughs> so what do you expect is going to happen? And all that, while in our home, Baruch Hashem, in our beautiful shelter, while that's all going on, we light the beautiful Menorah. The light, that great light that comes from the Torah, the Menorah represents the oral law. That part of Torah that connects us intimately with Hashem. Intellectually and morally with HaKadosh Baruch. We have so much to be thankful as the people who have chosen to bring light to the world. And that's our great celebration. Nebuchadnezzar, we feel terrible for the non-Jews of the world who are suffering from their own Greek philosophy. They are their own worst enemies. They are destroying themselves with great philosophies. Great philosophies. Kerry and all Buttigieg, all these people who have to worry about the climate, worry about the climate, go on private jets and using way more carbon than anything emitting, than anything else. This is the great philosophers that we have. Do we look at Jewish leaders like that way, who preach one way and practice another? Let me end with a story to make it very clear. It happened a few years ago. The chief rabbi of Russia, Rabbi Beryl Lazar, was invited by the Kremlin for a personal audience with President Vladimir Putin. And the time for the audience was Friday afternoon. But Rabbi Lazar took a look and saw that that Friday, a winter in Moscow, Shabbos was to begin at 3 p.m. and it was also Hanukkah. As such... He'd need to get home early so both the Hanukkah and the Shabbos candles could be lit. So considering this, he asked the Kremlin if the meeting could be postponed to another day. <laughs> but you don't tell President Putin. He insists on that day. Uh, he said it'd be 12 o'clock sharp. He'd have enough time to get back from the Kremlin and light the Hanukkah and Shabbos candles. And when Putin says, you, you gotta come, you gotta come. Sir Rabbi Lazar arrives at the Kremlin Friday, 12 p.m. sharp. But he's about to enter the office of the president. He heard loud arguments and disputes. Apparently, the labor organization was inside the office. There was an intense bickering, arguing and that kept the meeting going on and on from 12 to 1, from 1 to 2. At this point, Rabbi Lazar is growing, beginning to grow anxious. But they don't have to worry. Putin will be sure to keep the meeting with you succinct, short. And it's very important. As, as Putin has to communicate a vital message to the Russian Jewish community. So Rabbi Lazar remained and arranged for his wife to deliver, send a delivery of a menorah to the Kremlin if he won't have time to make it back in time for shops. Anyway, sometime later he was admitted to the office of President Putin and they had their meeting. And when Putin and Rabbi Lazar finally came out of the meeting, Rabbi Lazar took a look at the clock and knew instantly that it was too close to Shabbos for him to get home in time. And he wouldn't be able to kindle the menorah before Friday sunset at home. So he immediately told the aides of the president, I have a menorah here. Please prepare it for me as I need to light. So the aides agreed to set it up. And they, but they requested Rabbi Lazar address the press in the meantime. So as requested, Rabbi Lazar spoke to several reporters for a few minutes and afterwards they directed Rabbi Lazar to a beautiful room right near the office of Vladimir Putin. The menorah was set up right in the middle of the table for him to light. But as soon as he saw what they had done, Rabbi Lazar knew they made a mistake. He said, I need to light Hanukkah candles, not Shabbos candles. I also have to do it at a window. Or actually, my custom is to do it by the door. But to put it by the door, Rabbi Lazar would need a small table. And even though it's the Kremlin... Go find an available small table in the Kremlin. And so the Kremlin officials began to search. Fortunately, they found a small table. They set it up by the door. And now the menorah was by the door, and there was oil and wicks. But that wasn't everything. He said, I need a match. I need a match to light the shamish. so they say, Rabbi, we're not allowed to smoke in the Kremlin. There's no fire and there's no match. Sorry, is there any other way to do this? Can't you just make the blessing and the prayer without the fire? (laughs) But Rabbi Lazar knew the answer. And at this point, there's only four minutes left to Shabbat. So then Rabbi Lazar remembered the security guard out front. Perhaps he smokes. But as the officials began making their way outside to get to the security guard, Rabbi Lazar knew, knew that if he wouldn't do something himself, he wouldn't make it. So Rabbi Lazar starts running. He took the elevator, ran down, retrieved the lighter from the guard, ran back up, lit the menorah. And the aides of the president watched him light the menorah at the doorway in the Kremlin right near the office of President Putin. Rabbi Lazar made the blessing, expressing the truism that we light these candles for all of the beautiful miracles that Hanukkah commemorates. Rabbi Lazar looked outside as the sun slowly set on the horizon of Moscow and the new Shabbos descended into the world. Now Rabbi Lazar needed to walk home, a walk of an hour and a half, in Moscow during the winter at night. Very cold. Knowing this, Rabbi Lazar spent a few minutes next to his menorah candles, enjoying his final moments of warmth and comfort. He bid the Kremlin officials goodbye, thanked them for their assistance, and began his walk home. But minutes later, hearing someone approaching him, he noticed the Russian minister of religion, who said to him, you're not walking home alone. What? Rabbi Lazar said, but you're not Jewish. You can drive. You don't need to walk with me. But the Russian minister was adamant. He said, you're here because of us. We brought you here, and we're the ones responsible for this chaos and mess. It's therefore my responsibility as minister of religion to walk home with you on Shabbos. Okay? On the trek home, it was freezing. But Rabbi Lazar had a nagging question. Turning to the minister, he said, "You know, my, You know, I made a real commotion here. Between my menorah, the table, the window, the matches... Fired, and walking home aren't you a little annoyed with me how do you feel about it and the Russian minister looked back at Rabbi Lazar and said you think we can't deal with Jewish spiritual leaders who don't take Judaism so seriously we could but we don't want to because we can't really trust them But you're a man we know we can trust. You have principles. You have values. You are going to walk home on the Sabbath. You are the types of leaders we trust and we want to deal with. End of the story. What do you see from this? That the world respects Jews who respect Judaism. The world is embarrassed by Jews who are embarrassed by their history, heritage, and faith. And we should learn from this story. Never be ashamed. To be like the loyal, true to your identity. That's what we should think about as we come into this amazing Shabbos Hanukkah. That we carry the light and when we live up to that light and we're honest and sincere and we connect ourselves to the Torah that connects us to Hashem and we connect ourselves to the history, the history going all the way back from the beginning of time and with different highlights with the Maccabees. And to know that as difficult as it is with a world that's full of darkness, yet we represent that light. And when we represent that light with integrity, the world will respect us. And maybe they will learn from us. And maybe the world will be a safer place. Because at the end of the day, the light has to defeat the darkness. And I give each and every one of us a bracha. For a lichtik a Hanukkah, a freilich in Hanukkah. a Hanukkah where everyone looks up to us as honest, loyal Jews and we will be respected. And as we push further and further, hopefully the day will come when Elioh Novi himself will light or have the Kohanim light the menorah in the base amigdosh with the Mashiach's coming, the of the Amen.